Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we're looking at interdisciplinary research in the UK, and in particular, how the UK science budget has been used to incentivize greater interdisciplinary research over the last two decades, and what might be next. With me to discuss that is Professor James Wilston, Digital Science Professor of Research Policy and Director of the Research on Research Institute at the University of Sheffield. Professor Wilston, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gavin. Good to be here. So people have been talking about the need to support greater levels of interdisciplinary research for many, many years. Why is this difficult? What are some of the challenges here? Well, I think it's worth just before going too far into, I mean, it's worth teasing out different definitions and strands at play. And, and, you know, we nowadays use interdisciplinary as a sort of catch-all for quite a range of different things. So without, you know, drawing us too far into semantics, I think it's worth at the very least pointing out that we are often eliding at least three different things when we talk about interdisciplinarity in the, in the, in the contemporary research system. One is multidisciplinarity, where you're essentially bringing together the existing perspectives, methods, approaches of distinct disciplines and getting them to sort of sit alongside one another and, and, and tackle a problem together, but still retaining the kind of integrity of their own disciplinary modes of, of, of thinking and working. Uh, a second is, is what one would normally call interdisciplinarity, where you're actually pushing towards some richer form of integration between the disciplines. You're, you're, you're breaking down some of those barriers. You're, you're encouraging or forcing people to adopt each other's methods and frames and, and approaches. And in doing so, you know, challenging people to, to think afresh as they address a particular problem. But it's an important, but you're still thinking about knowledge through a disciplinary lens. So multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, and then you've got transdisciplinary, which uh, we're talking here about categories that aren't, or questions, should we say, research challenges that derive their origins, not from disciplines themselves, but from questions out there in the world. So the starting point isn't, you know, how can economics and physics work together on this question? The starting point would be the question, which wouldn't necessarily fit any standard disciplinary heading. And you're then organising all sorts of different forms of knowledge, uh, some of which, of course, will be disciplinary knowledge, but others might be undisciplined knowledge in the sense that it'll be lay knowledge or, or, or uh, practitioner knowledge. I mean, look at all the debates we saw over the role of public health practitioners in, in structures of expertise around the early stages of COVID-19. This is a sort of different way again. And, and I think, you know, as I said, to come back to your question, we talk in really quite loose terms uh, about interdisciplinary when we're actually often meaning all, some, one, other of these things. And, and each of them necessitates a rather different way of thinking about how you break down or, or, or at least blur existing silos and challenges, encourage people to work together in new and creative ways to address particular problems. So, sorry, that's probably a far longer and more uh, <laughs> you know, terminologically focused answer than you were after. But I think I think it's worth uh, just sort of setting the scenes before we go further in. No, that's very helpful. And I shall try and moderate my language and make sure that we understand what we're talking about. I did want to take you back uh, a little bit because people have been thinking about these challenges for a while. And under the 
the last Labour administration uh, was in government between 97 and 2010. Uh, the government reserved some of the science budget for what it called large interdisciplinary research programs, and we can debate whether they were multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary, um, but, but they're ones with titles like living with environmental change, for example. What were the outcomes of these, and, and how did these programs change the view of interdisciplinary research and disciplines working together? Yes, I mean, you're right, there were quite a number of these which emerged sometimes with impetus from government in terms of different government departments and, and often from individual research councils in this pre-UKRI time um, who then became the, the lead or the champion for a given challenge. So you always had this slightly odd tension in the structure of these things whereby they were simultaneously cross-cutting yet also very clearly led by one or other of the research councils uh, and that was I think reflected also in the allocation of funding um, but I think you know they were I mean living with environmental change certainly I think was a successful program I, inevitably some were more successful than others but I think they as a move you know it was an important step towards where we then ended up now with consolidated structures that at least in theory are designed to enable this sort of stuff more easily whether they have in practice we can we can discuss and also even bigger and more integrative funding streams and challenges. I mean, you know, the Global Challenges Research Fund is an obvious example, even though that's now been you know, butchered or whatever. So, you know, they were the precursor to all of that and they were an important step towards it. I mean, what we didn't talk about in the first question was, I mean, of course, this isn't all just about how we organise and talk about knowledge. I mean, all of this is reflecting important changes in the production of research-based knowledge in universities and indeed in, 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 in the wider world and a recognition that, you know, some of the uh, ways we'd organised those things historically were no longer fit for purpose in, in, in respect, certainly of external challenges. So, you know, this isn't purely a sort of internal debate within the academy. It's also uh, the drivers for all of this are, are, are external, you know, I mean, environmental change or climate changes as, you know, I mean, these are big, big, challenges that of course do cut across all sorts of different elements of, of disciplinary knowledge and, and 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 therefore don't sit neatly in the structure for example of a university uh, you might say living with environmental change should that be in the geography department well yes no doubt it should but should it all be in the geography department clearly not I mean ditto climate change if we think about the role of different forms of knowledge so yeah so there's a there's a lot of reasons why this was a sort of needed turn in research funding and those programs that we saw through particularly sort of late new labor were lots of different attempts to catalyze and encourage people to work together in new ways I think they were mixed is, is the long and the short um you know, they were all individually evaluated. I'm not aware of any sort of single evaluation that set them all alongside one another and tried to draw a bigger picture, which is the kind of thing that I boringly uh, call for repeatedly in the system, but doesn't happen. But, it, it, you know, that would be more useful. I don't think there was any such thing. I know certainly when I, much later than that, in 2014, was tasked with setting up and directing a, a, a cross-council small initiative, a thing called the Nexus Network, uh, which was initiated by the ESRC, one of the first questions I asked was, can I see the evidence of how these initiatives have worked in the past so I can, you know, at least read it and try and learn from others' mistakes? And, uh, and, and I was told that, that, that none was available. Well, let's bring this uh, a little bit more up to date. So we, we just started with New Labour. You, you mentioned in the course of your remarks the programme, the, the Nexus programme. You also mentioned the Global Challenges Research 
programme, both things that have happened since the Conservative Party uh, took over. And obviously, we've also had the creation of UKRI itself, bringing together the seven research councils, along with Innovate UK and, and Research England. So where would you say things are now in terms of the government-led drivers to increase and improve interdisciplinary research? Well, I think we've made huge strides in terms of the structure and architecture of the system. And as you say, that was one of the big drivers from the nurse review onwards in the creation of UKRI to try and um, enable more effective strategic coordination and, and research that did span what would have traditionally been the, the domains of, of individual research councils. So the structures are, are there, whether they are working yet to full effect, I think is a, is a, is a more open question. And, and I think certainly the, the grant review that's now underway of uh, UKRI is looking, as I understand it, at this question in quite a lot of detail as, as one of its uh, primary foci, because I think there is a widespread sense that, you know, I mean, even as a supporter, as it were, of the, the theory of UKRI, aspects of the practice and operation perhaps still need work and, and, and improvement and of course the thing was set up on on the basis of an almighty fudge because you had on the one hand the case for integration and yet within the integrated whole you retained these existing structures uh, you know and it was a, a political fudge more than anything to try and keep everyone on board and, and not throwing their toys out of the prams uh, so i mean it's completely understandable why that approach was taken it felt at the time like a very sort of unstable fudge, a sort of research policy equivalent of the, of the, you know, the Irish border agreement that one knew was sort of going to not really work unless more thought and, and, and effort went in. And, and, and I think that's what they're really now doing. And it's taken quite a bit of time, obviously, for UKRI to bed down. And, and you know, it's been a very turbulent period, obviously, in terms of public policy and politics. So uh, I think we're seeing now in the UKRI strategy that came out uh, a few months ago and, and also in some of the potentially some of the allocations that, that will be forthcoming very soon. I expect we will start to see, hopefully, more fruits of that kind of thinking. But as I say, to, to go back to the beginning, you're, you, yeah, I mean, the structures are definitely a lot more, uh, have been have been improved and, and to a certain extent optimised to try and support this kind of stuff. But there's still, I think, work to make it uh, really effective. One of the other things that is very current is the Research Excellent Framework, or REF. So REF 2021 announced its results uh, to all universities last week. Do you think the REF incentivizes interdisciplinary work, or, or does it inhibit, or does it make no difference at all? That's a very good question. I mean, I think a lot of effort has gone in to this ref cycle that's just completed and uh, also to the, to the cycle before to try and ensure that there was a visible emphasis and sort of roots for interdisciplinary work or should we say work that didn't entirely fit one or other of the units of assessment because that's what this boils down to in the context of a ref you've got in the later cycle 34 units of assessment and they themselves obviously are quite big and broad in terms of what they cover, but you know something has to decide, or someone in terms of their outputs has to decide by and large if they're going here or they're going there. Work did go in, and Athena Donald, of course, chaired the the um, IDAP panel to think through the mechanisms around interdisciplinary research in the REF. 
we've obviously had the headline numbers of the past week in terms of the ref you know, scores on the doors. But what we haven't yet had, we will have very shortly, are the more detailed panel reports. And it's there, I think, that we'll get much more colour and, and, and richness in terms of how they felt they managed to deal with interdisciplinary research as it arose in the exercise. So I think, yeah, in, in, in one sense, yes, the system is able to address this. On the other hand, you still have this structure overall for the ref that is about 34 units of assessment. And I think the tension between that approach, which of course is rooted still in, in fairly conventional departmental disciplinary headings, the tension between that and a world in which more and more research funding in other contexts, we've talked about some of the challenge funds, but also, as we say, the wider world is, is becoming less defined by and constrained by those boundaries. That tension is growing and I think it, you know, it can only grow over time. So as we look now to think about the future of the REF, I think it is timely again to revisit the unit structure and potentially to think more uh, radically about whether there is further to go in integrating and, and breaking down some of those barriers. It's a complicated trade-off because, of course, you know, if you stick to the methodology of the REF, as it has been by and large for the last two exercises, there have been some changes this time around, you're talking about assessing very large volumes of material. And clearly, that's a big challenge to do in, in any context of a panel of experts but the, the sort of bigger you well the higher you lift the kind of level of organization the, the more unrealistic it is to expect people to be able to, to 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 judge across lots of different fields so there is a real tension there but i think at the level of the researcher the ref in the system acts as a force of I was going to say, force of conservatism in terms of the disciplinary, interdisciplinary divide. I don't think, I mean, you know, we should be careful in all of this not to elevate interdisciplinarity as an, an automatic good and, and downgrade the vital importance of disciplinary knowledge, which of course is the underpinnings of everything. And, you know, you do want healthy discipline. So in some ways, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that is the role of the ref to be that corrective in the system. But, but you know, within the university, it definitely acts. It's the thing that pulls you back into that way of thinking about your discipline Whereas other things like cross-cutting funding schemes, you know, push you out to collaborate with others and to look for other partnerships. I mean, you and I, Gavin, worked worked together a few years ago, in, you know, on an unsuccessful big collaborative bid, but we had all sorts of people in that, didn't we, from all sorts of different disciplines. And that's the kind of thing that you're encouraged to do through the, you're, you know, the ref doesn't encourage that kind of thinking and approach. So there's still uh, thought that needs to go in there. Well, let's talk about some of the incentives for universities and for academics themselves. I mean, do you think that the, the culture and the incentives within individual universities enables interdisciplinary research to be carried out easily? I think it varies from university to university. I mean, there are some very good examples of, of institutional efforts to try and, I think, encourage more of this kind of activity to let me highlight for example the work that ucl's done with its grand challenge global challenge initiatives across the university i mean i know from colleagues at ucl who've been involved in those that that has been quite a successful process in bringing colleagues from diverse and far-flung corners of a very big university like ucl together on a regular basis around a table to 
chew through and, and think about a particular problem and other things then flow from that as a result which i think was the the, the impetus behind you know the, the the creation of that approach originally by david price and others so i think you know there are things you can do structurally inside the the institution to try and get people talking and, and collaborating in, in new and different ways i mean these past two years of course haven't been fantastic for that as they have for lots of you know where we've all been sort of forced back in a sense to collaborate with people we knew already but you know there are lots of examples of, of it being done well at the same time i think there are limits on how much the institution can do as distinct from much bigger uh systemic cultural pressures on operating and thinking in in, in more conventional disciplinary modes uh, in terms of where you publish and that kind of thing let's talk a little bit about careers and career pathways how do we build and support career pathways that allow people to move in and through disciplinary research? I think this is an area that still needs a lot of uh, attention and thought. Again, one hears sort of two different responses to this challenge. One is that, going back to my earlier point about the, the fundamental importance of disciplinary foundations, that in a sense, you want researchers earlier on in their careers to sort of build their expertise and, and their sort of deep knowledge and also their their connections and reputation to some extent in a in a given field and from that they can then start working in in more inter transdisciplinary ways um and there's some merit to that argument of course uh, the difficulty though is that we've you know we're creating all these funding schemes which 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 bring with them funding and career you know jobs basically for uh, researchers at all levels and certainly lots of earlier career positions postdocs etc where from the off you're operating in that interdisciplinary mode and and it's really difficult i know from my i mean so when i work in a very i mean i sometimes call myself undisciplined i mean i you know i really i mean i really do struggle to sort of say well what does my i mean i suppose i'm a sort of sts science policy meta researcher whatever whatever i've been in lots of different departments it, to me, it's not, a, it's not a particularly relevant category because I would see myself without any pretensions as a, as, a, as a transdisciplinary researcher. I take the, the question from outside. But I know from seeing it with my own colleagues, and particularly postdocs who I've worked with, how difficult it is to transition from being funded and having a role in that kind of environment, that kind of whether it's a, a centre grant or a network grant, whatever it might be into a, a another job and certainly into a permanent job because you come out at the end of it and there is no you know there isn't a department for interdisciplinary living with environmental change there's a geography department there's a <laughs> no there's a physics department whatever and and and, and yeah you know, where do you go how do you and how do you demonstrate your worth as it were uh, alongside joanna and joe down the corridor who've been sat in that environment the whole time publishing in the quote unquote correct journals and getting all the sort of disciplinary badges of honor i think this and you know this is this is really really difficult uh, and it's a challenge you know i mean for those of us that work in this way or want to work in this way you know we often don't we don't have the institutional heft as it were to kind of create those career paths you know i can fund a postdoc for three years maybe six years whatever and you know and i can create a job for someone doing interesting great stuff we can publish great stuff we can work collaboratively but i can't then get them a lectureship because that requires going back into the disciplinary departmental structure and and there have been efforts of course to try and better recognize and 
reward and include these sorts of working in the system, but they are still very ad hoc and 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 fragile. I would say uh, my, my my Sheffield colleague Matt Flinders. Uh, interestingly, I was I was effectively moved out of the politics department because my 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 work was of the wrong disciplinary flavour for the politics refs mission. So there you go. I mean, this, even for for grizzled old profs, it has a sort of consequence. This stuff, but Matthew anyway, Matt had did this very good review for the ESRC um, a couple of years ago now, looking at uh, models of leadership, predominantly in the social sciences, but much of his argument really applied across the piece. Uh, and this was one of the, the questions he really zeroed in on. And I thought addressed very well uh this this sort of paucity of clear structures for career progression for people who are coming in developing the you know, skills which are incredibly valuable to the system this is the other thing and then sort of being spat out the end and being sort of forced to have to choose where they go but also seeing the skills and, and capabilities that they've developed undervalued underpriced in the in the system the place where they land no it it's clearly a very big challenge i wanted to get just a, a quick view from you on another big challenge within the system which is peer review and the general feeling that because most people sit within disciplinary environments when a, a truly interdisciplinary transdisciplinary research proposal comes forward it becomes quite difficult to have a peer review process that works as easily as it would work uh, for a proposal that's right in the centre of a discipline. I mean, do you see that that's a, a true surmise and, and how are people trying to tackle it? Well, I mean, yes, it, I mean, it's definitely a problem and it depends, of course, on the on the funding pathway and, and the you know wh- where you're trying to get funding, what sort of panel, if it's a panel-based review process, is constituted what sorts of reviewers you get you know as as prior reviewers before it gets to the panel there are so many stages in all of this i mean one of the biggest sort of crises hanging over the whole system in terms of grant peer reviewing is people just don't want to do it uh, you know that's the, the the really big challenge so so good people looking at stuff is very very hard to achieve there's still you know, it's very hard to achieve in, in in terms of journals and publishing as well but at least there you have still more of a sense of reciprocity i guess in terms of of people feeling i'll review these papers and hopefully somebody will review mine down the line i think in the grant system that culture of reciprocity has has not entirely broken down but it's definitely under severe strain and i think there are very good reasons for that i mean bear in mind we're talking here at a time where you know many colleagues are engaged in action short of a strike because we've just lost you know 25 35% of our pension and and i think quite rightly you know, a lot of these sorts of extra activities that don't really get recognised and rewarded are being seen as as lower priority by many academics who are incredibly overworked, stressed, underpaid, or in precarious positions in the system. And we, you know, still operate on the assumption that you're going to sort of jump with joy when one of the research councils sends you a proposal review. And I, I, think, <laughs> I think that's not really the case. At least if it's a paper, it's sort of potentially pleasant and interesting to read whereas reading reading a you know jazz form is 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 uh you know i mean i do do but personally i do review quite a lot of grant proposals you can imagine but i mean you know it's not exactly a, a sort of fun thing to do on a sunday afternoon so that's a big problem that almost is sort of i think is the is a bigger problem than one then when we get to the actual mode yeah absolutely i mean there's lots of evidence that, that in, in in different contexts of the challenges that interdisciplinary proposals 
face in in certain review contexts. I mean, just as there's evidence in respect of uh, gender and other forms of, of equality, diversity, inclusion. Um, so the you know the, the 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 review system is a limited system, I and mean, it's it's not without many flaws, as we know. The issue, of course, is of course what do you do instead, and 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 that's also very difficult. I've been involved the past two three years working with a group of funders who are trying experimenting with things like lotteries and and you know more radical disruptive devices which potentially do destabilize some of the established hierarchies and and orderings through which funding gets allocated and and i think we have to look at all of those but you know there are there are there are many other ways sand pits are something that i mean i've been involved in in the, where you get you know you the the process is simply applying to be accepted onto the sand pit and once you're on it you're on it and then you go you know 40 of you to a remote place and spend a week hacking together proposals and and at the end of it you know three or four of them will get funded i mean that kind of thing i think is also quite it's 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 artificial in that you're sort of creating the collaborations there in the spot but if enough work can go into selecting the right people on the right topic it potentially is also quite uh interesting as a way of breaking down so you know we have to look at all of these ways of of trying to improve the, the review system big problem we have in in the uk of course is that is you know that there is you know a lot of sort of inbuilt structural bias in favor of particular institutions based on signifiers like reputation which i mean you know obviously, obviously many respects are deserved but are not uh, you know can also mean that good proposals from elsewhere don't get funded there's also a geographical dimension to this of course as we see in terms of the distribution of, of money within and, and beyond London and the Greater Southeast. So there are lots of quite difficult issues to, to address here in the peer review system. There's obviously a lot of issues there and a lot of issues right across interdisciplinary research. Uh, we can't explore all of them. We've run out of um, But Professor James Wilson, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor James Wilson. Digital Science Professor of Research Policy and Director of the Research on Research Institute at the University of Sheffield. The issue of increasing interdisciplinarity in UK R&D was discussed at an event held by the Foundation on the 18th of May. A recording of that event and all the slides used can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until next time, goodbye.